This morning we have the privilege of installing Dave Brock as a ruling elder at Hope Church and um, because of that we're going to have a sermon this morning on the rule and duty and nature of a ruling elder. Um, Government is necessary, some think it's a necessary evil maybe, Um, but it is necessary and I think that probably had we not fallen into sin, we would have still had government. We would have still organized ourselves in some way so that we can accomplish the task of dominion, of subduing and ruling over all of God's creation, of being fruitful and multiplying. Uh, if you've ever uh, been a school teacher or you've seen on the playground, kids organize themselves into little factions of government all the time. They just find a a leader and then they organize and make a game and they come up with rules for it or they're playing war if they're boys or house if they're girls. And and in that, they form a little government oftentimes. We just naturally do it. But church government is very unique and scripture outlines the ways that we are to engage in it, how the church is to be ruled over, how uh, the church is to be cared for. And often in Scripture, they use the metaphor of a shepherd. A shepherd leads and guides the flock, cares for them. And, in that, and it is in that metaphor that a lot of the uh, teachings about God's uh, requirements for his people uh, to rule over his flock are, are uh, opened up for us. And so this morning, one of the Um, preeminent texts that will kind of lay out not only the qualifications but also the duties of an elder come to us in Acts chapter 20 uh, which is printed for you in your bulletin but if you have a Bible you can turn there yourselves. Uh, The Apostle Paul is uh, making his way back to Jerusalem carrying gifts that he has gathered throughout his missionary endeavors to bring to the saints in Jerusalem who are suffering under a famine. But everywhere he goes along his stop back, the Holy Spirit testifies that what awaits him in Jerusalem is imprisonment and affliction. And so at one point he lands in Miletus and he calls the Ephesian elders to come down to him to greet him. He is in a port city there in Miletus and they are up north in Ephesus and he calls them to come down. And they come down and he gives them his last encouraging words on their responsibilities as elders to care for the saints of Ephesus. And it's that text this morning that we're going to look at to understand better how we too can shepherd the flock of God. As God appoints men as elders and entrusts them with the responsibility of caring for his church, they must pay careful attention to both themselves and to the flock. And to see this, we're going to query this text to find what, why, and how an elder shepherds. So let's um, turn together to Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 28. Let me remind you that these are the very words of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. 
remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your church the bride of your son, Jesus. And you have called and appointed men to shepherd her, to care for her, to love her, to pay attention to themselves and to pay attention to the flock. Father, to those here who are elders, we ask that this word would be convicting, that it would drive them to see their duty and responsibility. For those who are not, may it set an ideal for them to aspire to. And for all others, may it encourage us as we look to those who do leave us, as those who will give an account for their shepherding. We pray this in Jesus' strong name, and amen. Amen. First, what does an elder shepherd? What does an elder shepherd notice in verse 28? Pay attention, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. First, we notice that their responsibility as appointed overseers is to the flock, which is the church of God. Notice that it is not their flock, it is God's. It is the church of God, the assembly of all those who have been called out of this world to Jesus Christ. It is the church of God. And notice that it is the church that God has obtained with His own blood. And at first that seems questionable. How did, how did God, if we're to take that reference, church of God, obtained with His own blood, but I think there what's happening is that He's identifying Jesus Christ, who is the only Son of the Father. He is the Father's own Son. And He is the one who obtained his, uh, this flock with His own blood. Jesus is the only Son of the Father. And His unique death, the shedding of His blood, and blood represents the life, His own life, the, the dying of Himself, represent, it, it purchases, or we could say, creates the church. So what do elders shepherd? Elders shepherd the flock. And the flock, notice, it's not mine and it's not yours. We are prone so uh, frequently to attribute things to being ours. Sometimes we do this without intending anything by it. That's my church. That's my church that I attend. Pastors are very guilty of this. We say, that's my church. That's the one I shepherd over. But it is the flock that God has appointed us to care for. It is the flock which is the church of God. It belongs to Him because He is the one who gave His lifeblood to purchase it. It is not ours. It does not belong to us, but it belongs to God and is formed in Christ. But notice also that the flock is particular. Paul is speaking to particular men. The elders of Ephesus. And they are to shepherd a particular flock. 
a particular definite number of people that they know they can point to them because it's Joe and it's Susie and it's Billy and it's Johnny and it's, and it's the people that they know. It's a particular flock. Pay attention, pay careful attention to the flock. They don't think of just any indiscriminate number of people or just the church universal. How could any group of elders ever care for the universal church? No, Paul is speaking about a particular flock. And and by the way, this is a good case for membership. If we are to be accountable for a particular group of people, then we must know who those people are. And they must join together recognizing the authority that God gives to us and appointing us to care for them. Of those who elsewhere, the New Testament says, will give an account for their shepherding. We must know who those people are and therefore they must be, become members of a particular church. And so if we're to care for particular people, then particular people must be a part of a particular church. Uh, and in, in that way, we, we begin to see what it is that the elders are called to steward and care for. And of course, it can't be just a private uh, church. It can't be something that doesn't have an embodied existence in time and a place, right? And so it has to be a church that is recognizable for these men to be able to pay careful attention to it. And so, what an elder shepherds is the flock, the particular flock, which is the church of God that he obtained with his blood. But why? Why does an elder shepherd, why is that even necessary? Why do we not just gather together and uh, someone stand up and read some words from Scripture and we begin to talk about it? There are other congregations that don't seem to have any governing structure. Why? Why do we why does an elder shepherd the flock the church of God and notice in verse 28 it's because the holy spirit has made them overseers in which the holy spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God the holy spirit is the one that appoints men to rule over his congregation to shepherd them to pay careful attention to themselves and to the flock. Those men are appointed by the Holy Spirit. And if you, if you had your Bible, you could look back at verse 17. And the word that Paul uses when he calls the elders down, it says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And that's elders in the plural, and it's the Greek word, presbyteros where we get the word presbyterian from those elders that plurality of elders is called to come down to paul at miletus but now in this text he uses a different word he says the holy spirit has made you he's speaking to the same people these are elders that he has called down the holy spirit has made you overseers and that word is episkopos which is the word we get for episcopalian They are elders and they are overseers. And that is the same office. Those men are appointed by the Holy Spirit to care for the flock of God, the church, which is obtained with his own blood. And it's plural. It's not one bishop. 
It's a plurality of elders that join together in the task of caring for the people of God. And this brings us, of course, to the, what's called calling and the doctrine of ordination. No one takes the office of an elder who isn't called to it, who isn't appointed to it by the Holy Spirit. Meaning, of course, that uh, it, it is, it is a, an exclusive office. It's not open for just everyone. And that includes uh, women. It is not open to women to rule over, to shepherd the flock of God. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1 says, For every high priest is chosen from among men, is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. But if this he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. You see, an elder is chosen, is appointed by the Holy Spirit. And appointed can mean installed. And that's what that word there that says made you. An overseer. The Holy Spirit installs the men that He has called, and that calling is a twofold calling. It's an internal calling. It's a sense that God is directing me, God is calling me to care for this particular people because I have a heart for them, because I want to see them mature and grow in their faith, and because I want to see that no wolves creep in and take them captive. Right? It's a, an internal calling. That I sense the Lord is preparing and directing me for this noble task as we read from 1 Timothy 3. But it's also an external calling. That internal call must be matched with the call of the church. And that is an external call. And that is when the church says, we agree with you. And we see that not only do you feel that internal calling, but we can testify that you have the traits, the characteristics of someone who could shepherd us. And we call you to shepherd us, to be, to be appointed to rule over us. In Acts chapter 14, verse 23, it says, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Everywhere that Paul went, he appointed elders because we need men who are gifted and qualified to shepherd us. Men who we will see in a moment will use those gifts to care, to pay careful attention to the flock of God. So, for, so why, why does a shepherd... An elder shepherd the flock of God because God has called him to it. God has not only internally called him, but also appointed him to that task. And of course, if the Holy Spirit has called him, he will also equip him. So we come now to answer the question, how? How does an elder shepherd? And I want to just focus on the last part of this text by opening up three ways that a shelter, uh, an elder shepherds. First, by paying careful attention to yourself. Second, by paying attention to the flock, the church of God. And third, and probably more importantly, by the grace of God. So first, by paying attention to yourself. Notice that he says, 
I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And if you don't understand orthodoxy, if you're not orthodox yourself, how on earth would you ever guard the doctrine of the church? How would you preserve the peace and purity of the church if you don't know how to discern between good and evil, between what is a sheep and what is a wolf? Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4:16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearer. How is it that Paul can put so much weight on Timothy examining his, himself. How is it that if Timothy does not keep a close watch on himself and also what he teaches, that his hearers will be in peril? And how on the flip side can they be saved by him doing that? It seems almost too strong of an emphasis. But how many have read on the news of the church being scandalized by pastors who had moral failings, who failed to keep watch on themselves, to guard their character, who were filled with avarice and malice and anger, who were building their own platforms. Instead of guarding the church of God, instead of caring for the spouse of Christ, they cared for themselves. And so we can see how the sheep will be imperiled if if the elders of a church are not keeping careful watch on themselves and, of course, what they teach. All of the qualifications for an elder that we read in 1 Timothy 1, except for one, are all character issues. And they can all be summarized in the statement, above reproach. What does it look like to be above reproach? How can we cultivate that kind of character in the men that are called to lead us, to shepherd us? We must be above reproach. And before we despair and before we think that no man could ever accomplish such a high task, we, we know that the, the ideal set forward for us in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 3 must be carried out in the grace of God. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So first, the, the, the how of how he should shepherd is by paying careful attention to himself, guarding his character. He must be a student of his own soul, knowing what is within him, knowing his propensity, his tendencies, what the Puritans called his besetting sins. We all have them. We all have those things that trip us up. And often, oftentimes they're tied to great gifts. Right, The charismatic pastor who has a, a, a great personality that draws all kinds of people into his sphere and yet is behind the scenes abusive and using that power to only keep his power. That happens. right? And we're drawn in by their, their, the gifts that God has given them to open up the Word and to, to make, and to speak it persuasively. And the same could be said for our ruling elders. Sometimes we place men in the office because they're good in business. That man is successful. He's raised a, he's an entrepreneur and he's done well leading all kinds of businesses and he's successful and he, he has money and he's influential in his community. But those are not the characteristics of an elder. And so we are susceptible on both 
both sides, a teaching elder and a ruling elder, and we need to make sure that we're driving back to the qualifications of character, examining them in, in their lives to see if they are above reproach. And I'm sad to say that even in our Presbyterian, especially in our Presbyterian circles, we have been examining men on doctrine for decades. We go, I am on the licensure and ordination team of our Presbytery, and we, of course, place a high priority on the man's doctrine, his teaching, but sometimes to the exclusion of his character, sometimes without asking him about his relationship with his wife or his children or how he conducts himself in his business, how he was in his past or or the sins that are besetting him in the moment. We neglect those things and we worry about doctrine. And we shouldn't do one to the exclusion of the other, but we should hold both of them as important in the life of an elder. But secondly, we need to pay attention to the flock. How does an elder shepherd? He shepherds by paying attention to the flock. Notice in verse 28, it says, Pay careful attention to yourself and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church. And that word care, I wish that the ESV would have translated as it is in the Greek, which is shepherd. Shepherd the flock, the church of God. Care for the flock is to shepherd them. The sheep need to be led to food so that they can be fattened up. And that's maturing them in Christ. Sheep need to be healed when wounded. They need to be given the, the gospel as a balm to soothe their anxious hearts and their worries and their fears. Sheep need to be, sometimes they go wayward and they need to be brought back through discipline. Sheep need, of course, to be protected, which is one of the main points that Paul is making here, from wolves. Wolves without and within. Of course, wolves are a good a metaphor if you're using a shepherd and sheep because they're something that is a constant threat to the sheep. And there's maybe in this illustration only one shepherd and he needs to be attentive to all those sheep so that wolves do not come in among them. And you can imagine a wolf might be able to hide in the midst of them, picking off the smallest ones. And a shepherd might not even see him amid the flock. Paul, in in verse 29 through 30, outlines what that looks like. And in the ancient world, the wolf is described as bold and treacherous and vicious, plundering, greedy, harmful, deceitful, offering help in order to harm. And that's all throughout ancient literature. That's what a wolf does. We know that. We, we describe people who are filled with avarice and do those kinds of things by oppressing and taking advantage of the weak as wolves. We call them what they are. What do wolves do? Wolves draw the disciples away. These are teachers that are motivated by selfish ends. Paul says in Romans 16, verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive See, these, are, these wolves that come in are trying to draw the sheep away from the shepherd. And of course, 
We are shepherds under the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the shepherd who is superintending his church. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But the wolves will come in to draw people away from Jesus Christ by teaching other things, by using subtlety, by and using persuasive speech, by speaking flattery. They will make you feel good so that they can take advantage of you, Paul says in Galatians. And each church that Paul addresses and the false teaching that they face are different. Not every particular congregation faces the same kinds of wolves, the same kinds of ideas that creep in to draw people away from Jesus Christ. In Corinth, Paul addressed license and those who are enamored with the spiritual gifts who had neglected to love their brothers and sisters in Christ. In Philippi and Colossae, they, they, Paul attacked asceticism and the Judaizers who were coming in trying to tr- trick the Gentiles to become like Jews before they could follow Christ. You see, And over and over, as Paul outlines the false teachings that he's addressing in these various churches, he's encouraging the elders to be on guard, to pay careful attention to the wolves that are coming in and leading people astray. False teaching does not come in by just through the wind of the breeze. It comes in through people. In our day and age, it often comes in through teaching material that has not been that is not orthodox, that does not teach and lead to Jesus Christ. And so the, this session is to be on guard, and your session is. All of the women's, particularly in our day and age, we are very susceptible with women's ministry material. I'm not exactly sure why, but heresy gets snuck in on those things, and your session is, is good about guarding that. We go through all the material that you are going to study to make sure that it is orthodox. That is a part of the how of shepherding. And there is nothing new. There's no new heresies. They just get repackaged in, new, in, in, in each new age. And this is borne out in John's second letter. He is speaking to the church in Ephesus some 20 years later in 2 John chapter 7. He says, or verse 7, he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. You see, 20 years later, the elders of the church in Ephesus are still dealing with the same problem. See, Paul clearly makes a difference between orthodoxy and heresy. And we're not talking about our modern tendency to divide over everything, right? And we as Presbyterians are so guilty of this. We wear bow ties, and we don't, right? And, we, and, and okay, well, let's form our own denomination. We can have just bow tie churches and just tie churches, right? And no tie 
right? And we can have all those, and we should have our own denominations, right? And we're so prone that it's something within us that wants to be pure. We want that pure church. And we think that we have finally cornered what that looks like. And we create our own ideal community, which is actually looks nothing like the body of Christ. And orthodoxy involves mere Christianity. It involves the, the basics, the fundamentals of the faith. Those are the things we should be on guard against and not the things that Scripture uh, are wisdom issues within Scripture. The person and work of Christ. His substitutionary atonement, the importance of the inclusion of the Gentiles, the exclusivity of Jesus as the only way of salvation, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. That's what Paul is contending for. The faith once delivered to the saints. That's what he is fighting for. Not bow ties. And of course this leads to great vigilance, a ceaseless shepherding. How does an elder shepherd ceaselessly night and day therefore be alert in verse 31, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. Enemies like this require shepherds that are vigilant. There is no time to relax and let up. The enemy is always watching and looking for a place where he can sneak wolves in. And he looks especially to sessions who are apathetic, who are passive and weak, and don't remain vigilant against the enemies. They're not paying careful attention. Paul says that he admonished, and that word is nutheo. Nuthetic, we're the word where we get nuthetic counseling. It's instructing. He's counseling the people on what is right and what is wrong. On what is the faith and what is not. On how to discern between good and evil. He is instructing them night and day in the truth of the gospel. One commentator said the ceaseless persistence and the earnest integrity of Paul's teaching in the church of Ephesus should serve as an example for the Ephesians elders who remember Paul's ministry. They remember because he did that to them. He instructed them in the faith. And they have his example of day and night. He admonished them. He instructed them in the truth of the gospel. And wow, all of this seems impossible not just to be above reproach, not just to even meet the qualifications of what an elder is, but what he's called to do, to shepherd the church of God, the one that God bought with his own blood, who is sufficient for these things? How can any man do this? And the answer is only by the grace of God. Paul commends God's grace to them as a blessing. He says in verse 32, and now. And you can hear his heart. You can hear his pastoral heart as he knows he's going to a place where everywhere the Holy Spirit tells him only affliction and imprisonment await him. He may never see these men again. And he says, and now I commend to you God. And to the word of His grace, 
which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Elders need to hear the gospel too. They need to hear that God is for them. That the blessing of His Word is active and coming to them. That His grace is what upholds them. And here we learn that Paul's not expecting that it all rests on them. God will see that His church is shepherded. Paul entrusts them for safekeeping to God's care and protection. And the word there, and to the word of His grace is... It's connecting that to God. God is His Word, is God Himself. When He speaks, He is acting. He is present in the world. It is an active Word. It's not just a Word that falls to the ground. It's the active presence of God to shepherd His church. And since God is active in the preaching of the Word, it is able to build up the people of God. The Belgic Confession says the preaching of the Word of God is the Word of God. That is a strong statement. Because God is powerful in acting through His Word. And especially His Word preached. And this is the work we are committed to. Applying the active Word of God to God's sheep so that God's sheep will be built up in their faith. And of course... The reminder that we are included in those, we have an inheritance among those who are sanctified. And that, that there is a, Paul looking at it as a completed action. And that day when we are above reproach, when there is no more stain of sin that still mars us because we, we have the vestiges of the old man still at work in us. When we will be like the Lord Jesus because we will see him as he is. The elders are to shepherd the flock of God as God has called them to, being careful to watch over themselves and over the sheep within their care, paying careful attention to those without and within who will disrupt the peace and purity of the church. However, through it all, it is the triune God who is superintending the work. It's the Father's church to begin with. And it's purchased by the Son with His own life. And it is led by men whom the Holy Spirit has appointed. The task of an elder is a noble task, 1 Timothy 3.1, but is not entered into lightly. And from this point forward, Dave Brock will be appointed to this task by the Holy Spirit. And it behooves you as a congregation to know what he is to shepherd, why he is to shepherd, and how he is to shepherd the church of God. And it also serves as a reminder to all of us who are already appointed to this task. And, it's, and it functions as a charge to Dave on the task ahead. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. O oh, Father, who is sufficient for these things? Build your church. You are faithful. You purchased her with your own blood. You sent your spirit to appoint men to lead her, to shepherd her, to care for her, to pay careful attention to themselves and to the flock, and to be commended to your grace, which is able to build them up and to give them an inheritance among those who are sanctified. So fit us for this task 
and prepare Dave today as we install him for the task ahead. We pray this in Jesus' name, and amen. Dave, if you would come forward, and the elders, and I would include in that Glenn, would you mind coming, and uh, Larry, and uh, don't see Doug, but if you would all come forward. We're going to ask Dave some questions.